Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My guest today is my good friend, Alan Kahn. You may be familiar with his name because he has been a guest on the show in the past, episodes number six and number 23 to be specific. And because I received as many requests and as much feedback as I did, I've asked him to return today. And I'm excited to have Alan on the show and to expand on our past discussions. In the past, Alan and I touched on the question of what is your calling and he asked us to consider our operating system and we dug into that a little bit. So if you're not familiar with those terms or if you haven't heard the earlier episodes, I encourage you to go back to number six and number 23 and listen in. Now, before I introduce Alan and get started, I wanna begin as I must do always by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to encourage you to send your comments, your suggestions, your questions to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That's CEO at RainCanada.com. And of course, if you're inclined, I'd really appreciate it if you were to share this show with your friends, your family, other people you know, even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And please, while you're at it, follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thank you again for the feedback you provide the team and I. It is sincerely and definitely appreciated. Now, let's get on with the show. A very brief background of Alan Kahn could go something like this. Over the past 40 years, Alan Kahn has gained international experience as a manager, as an entrepreneur, a trainer, an executive coach, a facilitator, and even far more than all of that. His track record for being a catalyst in driving success for his clients is extensive and the level of support and coaching he provides is as diverse and random as his list of clients. Alan has literally guided and supported thousands of individuals on their journey to greatness, well-being, success. He lives his calling of may all hearts be full, may all beings be enlightened. Now, today, join Alan and I as we do our best to discuss a myriad of topics and to work to venture down as few rabbit holes as we can in a short period of time. Join me in welcoming Alan Kahn. Alan Kahn, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast, my friend. Good to have you back. It is great to be back, Patrick. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me again. So, Alan, I have to say that you were on 
episode number six, early episodes. And then we had a great review from many listeners. And then, so we had you back on episode number 23. Once again, we get kind of cool feedback about Alan Kahn and the conversations that we have and the work that you do. And so here you are again, back by popular demand. Great. And it, and it's great. And Patrick, just it, it makes me happy to talk to you under any circumstances. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was you were kind enough to invite me to your birthday party. And <laughs> there we were hanging out on the deck and someone walked by and heard us talking. And they said, I know that voice. And it was someone who I'd never met, but had heard the podcast. Uh, so I know I know these podcasts get around. So <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> I did not know that happened. That's cool. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, pal, it's good to have you back. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about just before we get on the show, a couple of the directions that we could go with this conversation. And, you know, what showed up for me while we were getting ready uh, to have this conversation is a couple of things. First off, although the episode number six and episode number 23, we talked about a lot of things, but really it came down to talking about the operating system and our purpose. Those were two, that was kind of the foundation or the core of those conversations, which seem a little bit, I don't know, out there or metaphysical or spiritual. Well, you know, people sometimes say that, but Patrick, you know, I, I think it's very practical myself. So I, I know it might land that way in some people's ears, but if, if you slow it down a little bit, people have an intention. And it's either an intention that we created, which you could call your life purpose, or it's an intention we wound up with by default. Family of origin stuff, experiences we've been through, cultural things, and that's what I call your operating system. So I like making things simple even though it may sound esoteric or metaphysical, for me, it's practical. I agree 100%. And those were great conversations back then. And But I also want to say that, you know, in all of the work that we've done with you, and I've done personally with you, but as well as uh, you've been part of the, really, you've in, in many ways, directly and indirectly been part of the RAIN team. So you've supported the executive leadership team. And I have to say that you're very pragmatic and very uh, effective in your practical thinking. It's We don't live up in the air too much. You bring it right back to, okay, show me the numbers, show me the line you're going to get there and who's going to do it and who's going to execute and what time are they going to get that done by? So for those of you who are listening and think that Alan Kahn is not an operational-minded, get-shit-done kind of guy, that would be the wrong thing to think. So... Uh, he puts you to work, and you're quite a taskmaster when it comes to that. So uh, I wanted to just point that out to everybody, Alan. Great. It, and uh, I, I've been accused in, in, in certain environments where I work of, wow, he's pretty far out there. You know, is he going to get us down, focused on action? So for me, it is both, not one or the other. But uh, And I like to be in both worlds. <laughs> For me, it's like, what's at the source of things? And then what is there to do? I love that part of it. And and for me, that certainly works for the executive leadership team that we have with Rain. That is really what we operate around and, and how we think and how we make decisions. So it's really impactful. Back to a little bit about the the conversation that you and I had, because I reach out to you on occasion and 
and we do some one-on-one kind of coaching. I've discovered that, you know, at this point in my life and at turning 60, a bit of a milestone and being a relatively new grandfather and, and just really looking at my life and, and just checking in. For me, it's a bit of a check-in. It's like, okay, where am I at? Am I living the best life I can possibly live? Am I enjoying it? Am I honoring what I've done and how I've got here? Am I in the relationships that I want? So I look at so many aspects of my life and I reach out to you and, and sort of get grounded in it and, and we have conversation and it's great. I'm a big believer in understanding that as the CEO, and I don't want to say it that way. Maybe that's not the way I want to say it. Anybody is the center of their universe. It is incredibly important for them to look after themselves, to understand their operating system, understand their purpose, to really relate to who they are in their world, to their friends, their family, their uh, whatever relationship that might be, as well as their businesses or their careers, whatever that might be. You know, it's, it is the old case of put your oxygen mask on first in order to help others. Can I just say one thing about that, Patrick? You know, it, and developmentally, I, I know you mentioned the age 60. Developmentally, by age 28, you're, the prefrontal cortex, that part of the brain that allows you to consider the future, is fully developed. So 28 onward, it's uh, part of your the way your brain is operating to be more concerned about the future, not just what's happening right now. You know, pragmatically, that's why they send youngsters to go to war. They're not thinking about what's going to happen in three years. They're just all in right now where you get someone beyond a certain age and they're not going to put them on the front line because they're going to be concerned about things that a younger person might not be. And, and I'm not saying there aren't exceptions to that, that there aren't people at age 15 who are charting out the course of their life but they're on the outsides of the bell curve. Sure. Uh, you know, as you know, teenagers, you, you, you raised one and you were one, as was I. That's the time we take risks. Why? Because we're not thinking about the consequences. Yeah, we're pretty uh, indestructible in those early years, aren't we? Gosh, all of a sudden mortality <laughs> comes up. Well, we think we're indestructible, <laughs> we but do. it's only because we don't think about tomorrow. We only <laughs> think about right now. <laughs> so true. So true. You know, I want listeners to really get a lot out of the this particular podcast and the work that you do and that, you know, I follow and so many follow. And in the conversation that we had with the one-on-one that I was doing with you a while back, we, you brought up a couple things. One was the four pillars. We talked about that and I want to dig into that a little bit because you and I actually didn't get a chance to dig into it in a in a meaningful way. And then the six keys to uh, a great and fulfilling life, which I think, gosh, if we could get to even some of that on this, you know, I don't think we'll get to all of it, but I, let's let's try. Great. So tell me, tell me about the four pillars. We we start and and let's work through this in a way that people can take and come away from this podcast and go, this is cool. I'm going to start applying some of this. And it's so great, Patrick. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to review these with you. And for me, this is a work in progress. But what I do know is how this came about. So in the methodology that I'm working with as a coach, my job is to equip that person to see the world differently and to make different choices and to act differently so that their performance, their satisfaction expands in the direction they want it to. 
So I unpacked, I looked at my own life and I went, what are the pillars on which I've built my life? Understood. And that's where the four pillars came from. So this is how I live my life. And I went, good, make it available to everyone so that people have access to exactly what I have access to. We're going to explore in this dialogue whether it makes sense, and I'm hopeful that it will. I'm confident it will. And and as you said, this is a work in progress. You know, it yeah. isn't it isn't the end. It isn't the ultimate. It is a work in progress that you continue to unpack and discover and learn. Yeah. So let's go. Where do you want to start? Well, let's do pillar number one. So I say that a human being is not their thoughts, their views, their feelings, their body sensations, their history, their actions, their acquisitions, or anything else. That's a long way of saying a human being is not a thing with properties. A human being has properties, but human beings are not simply things with properties. And that's the cornerstone. That's the first pillar, is I don't relate to myself as you know, a pinball in somebody's pinball game. I relate to myself as someone that has an operating system, that has tendencies, that has views, but that's not all of who I am. To me, when I okay, when I hear you say that, and I kind of review it, and I and I want to give you a chance to really dig into this and not take you too far off track. But do you not see? To me, this is, shows up as I want to say common sense. Do you do you think that people actually don't think this way? Do you think that there's? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's so great. Well, I think a lot of people think they are their views which is why if you disagree with their views, they get so defensive. Instead of it just being a conversation like, this is my view and that's your view, people identify as their views or their thoughts. Or, you know, I I was talking with somebody last week and two weeks ago, and they started the conversation with, I'm angry. And it wasn't like I'm having an angry feeling. No, I am angry. It was almost like a declaration. And and I went, okay, that's an interesting way to start a conversation. I said, do you want me just to understand that you're angry? Or do you want to, is there something underneath that? And they got offended with that practical approach. And finally we unpacked it. And, and she saw that she was having angry feelings, but they were all based on having misunderstood something. But in that moment, she was her anger. So if people know this, and it's common sense, I think what I have to say about it is we don't live it. We don't. We identify with what's going on in that moment. You got it. And take it personally. Even, you know, what I didn't put on here is a human being is not their car. I mean, why do we have road rage? Because someone identifies with their car. You know, you scratch their car and they might pull a gun if you're in the United States, not Canada. Of Of course, course not Canada. (laughs) Not Canada. (laughs) (laughs) But people really do uh, misidentify what it is to be a human being. And this is where it will get a little esoteric. So I'm not 
kind of just making this into a practical statement. The way I view myself and others is that what it is to be a human being is where the space, the clearing, the field in which our thoughts arise, our views arise, our feelings, our body sensations, our actions, all of that arises in this space that you and I are. The the silly example I like to give is if you cut off my arm, am I still here? Absolutely. I'm just here without an arm. If I change my thoughts, am I still here? Of course. So then who is a human being really? And, you know, this whole thing these days, we talked about this on one of our earlier calls, the trend towards mindfulness and the practical usefulness of living a mindful existence is to be present to the best you can to the thoughts that are happening, the views, the body sensations, and not to be identified as those, but to be able to be the witness or the observer of that. And you'll be so much more effective if you can observe what's happening rather than get pulled and three days later wind up that, oh, I've been in a bad mood for three days because I identified with a feeling and I didn't even pay attention to when it happened. That mindfulness, that thoughtfulness, that really is stepping back, being the observer, being the observer of the thoughts. You know, there was a question that Wayne Dyer that I remember years ago in, I don't recall what book it was that I was reading of his, and he asked the question, who is the thinker of the thoughts? And we get to be the observer of our thinking as opposed to being it, owning it, reacting to it. It is stepping back from it. Now, am I on track with the conversation here so far? So totally. And I love that you brought up Wayne Dreyer because he like definitely explored this realm. And this was a corner. This was one of his pillars. I don't know how he would have stated it. But, you know, when I first got exposed to this was I think I was 21. And I went to a, a weekend workshop that was called an enlightenment intensive. And all we did for two and a half days was sit opposite a partner and the partner would say, tell me who you are. And you looked them in the eyes and you, you answered the question. And then they said, thank you. Tell me who you are. <laughs> And that went on for five minutes until a bell rang. And then you said to them, tell me who you are. Then you went back and forth three times. And then two bells rang. You bowed, thanked the person, got another partner. And guess what they asked you when you sat down? Tell me who you are. And eventually, for many of the people there, you literally run out of things to say. And all you're left with is space. And you have this visceral experience that all those things you identified with, your history, your thought pattern, that's just stuff that's happening. And you're the clearing, the space, the field in which it's all arising. Now, can you live there 24-7? I don't think so. But can you return yourself to that? Yes. You know, I go back to some early work you and I did, and when I finally got to that particular question, I am, one of my mantras, one of my affirmations 
is I am no thing. I am yes. a, I am a field of possibilities. Awesome. So for me, that's where I start my meditations often, or that's where I start my creative, my most creative work is actually in my own brain, in my own mind, clearing the space for other things to show up. So yeah, that, that was for me. That's just for me. And I don't want to take this off on any kind of a track. No, no, but that's, that's pillar number one. So tell me in a practical sense. Yeah. For listeners, why does this, why does it, what, why the hell does any of this matter, Alan? What are they, well, what are we dealing with that this would be helpful well, for? Here's why I say it matters. My view of us as human beings is we all wound up a particular way. And my second view of us as human beings is none of us are stuck being who we wound up being. So if you want to have some freedom to go beyond the current trajectory you're on or to create a new trajectory or to uh, you need to you can't relate to yourself as you're this thing, this fixed thing with properties. You can't say, oh, that's just the way I am. Now, in a relationship, you know, with another human being, if the moment you say to that person, well, that's just the way they are, I say you've just insulted them. You've just put them in a box that they can't get out of. So thinking people are their views, their feelings, their thoughts, any of that either puts you in a box that's inescapable or puts someone else in a box. And then it's all about maneuvering around the box rather than creating something powerful with that other human being. You said the magic word, possibility. If you want to live a life of possibility, which the scientists tell us, anything is possible. I mean, there are some things that are highly unpredictable, but anything is possible. You can't relate to yourself or live like you're a thing, you just can't. I'll share just with you, because I think it's relevant, is that many years ago when I first met Stephanie and was kind of hanging out with her, she this was 25 years ago, she would ask me a question, why do you do that, or why do you think that, or how do you, why do you react that way? And I'd go, well, my answer to her was, that's just the way I am. And I, <laughs> I think back to those days, and it made so much sense to me. I'd look at her like, what are you, crazy? It's just the way I am. And she would look at me confused. And <laughs> she, she was just so much more evolved than I was. Anyways, but one day, finally, the, the circumstances you know, came up. And she looked at me and she went, you know it's a choice, right? And I went, what? She goes, you're not just the way you are. You're choosing to be that way. You can re-choose and do it differently. Now, back in that, at that time in my life, that was like, that was like somebody hit me in the forehead with a hammer, right? It was just like, yes. are you kidding me right now? I do. I get to choose how I am. And that yes. was really, a, 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 that was, I, I think, a, you know, a tipping point in my journey. But this is truly a case, what you're saying here is to step back and look at what we operate on top of, which is some story that we have, that this is the way we are, that we tell ourselves that, or maybe we don't even think about it. But ultimately, when we're looking at our lives and a view of our life, we have to make different choices and we have to view to say, this is not the way I am. How do I have to show up differently to go and achieve what I want to achieve? It's great. And, and, and Patrick, you know, given we all have to work 
we have to live with ourselves. No escaping that. However, we also on this planet get to interact with others. And to the degree that you don't relate to others, like that's just the way they are, you'll be so much more effective in your interactions with them if you go, oh, that's just the way they wound up. But if they see things differently, they'll be able to take different actions, period. Okay. I could go into this. We could both go into this. I know deeper, but I... We could talk for three days about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's not. Good. Anything you want to do to recap pillar number one? Yeah, yeah, I do. It really works, whether it's true or not. So let's remember, we're not preaching here. We don't have the truth. We have a very practical way to live life. It really works to relate to yourself like you're a field a clearing, a space in which your life arises and where suffering comes from when it, when it does happen is you identify with what's in the space rather than just observe it. Understood. Good. Now, that's not saying that my listeners are understanding, Alan, so it'll be interesting to see if we get some questions on this. And I'm going to interject here right now Inviting inviting listeners, if you have some questions, send them to CEO at raincanada.com and we're going to get Alan to answer them. So I don't know what that's going to look like, but we'll take our chances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- this will either be my third and final podcast, <laughs> <laughs> or, or or this or this will be uh, a, a food for for yet another. <laughs> okay, pillar number two. Let's keep going. Yeah. Yeah, this one is, again, you might go with this one, it's common sense, but it's not the way we live. We human beings do not have direct access to reality. It's always filtered through our perceptions. So when I say that's the way it is, everybody should know, or when anybody says this, Everybody should know what that really means is that's the way I see it. And, you know, I was exposed to this in, uh, again, at a young age in studying physics. Such a simple version of my college physics class where we got to something called the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. But Heisenberg was a, a physicist who was working with subatomic particles. And again, I'm going to simplify it and in simplifying it, probably misstate it. So this is my, my restating of his principle. The very act of observing subatomic particles alters the behavior of the particles. Yes. There's no such thing as an objective observer. We're in a dance with the entire universe, and all we have access to is the way we perceive it, not the way that it is. You know, this goes so deep so fast, so I don't want it because we're all just energy, right? So let's let's back up a little bit and, and say, okay, so... I understand that. That seems quite common sense. So let's let's bring it up a couple of levels and say sure. a lot of our perception of reality is filtered through our belief systems, our how we were raised, 
uh, what were we told was right or wrong, values that are may not even be ours. That's where it gets even a little bit deep is we filter them through values that might not be ours. Belief systems, what I call our BS. And Yes. Oh, that's it, great. I never heard that initial <laughs> word. That's yeah, very good. Because it's all BS, right? Which A lot of our belief systems. So that's how I, you know, that's where I would enter this. And yes. And as a speaker, a coach myself, and in the, in the world of education around real estate and any number of topics that we touch on, when I've discovered that when I'm talking or speaking and I'm providing education, I'm giving my view of the world and people are hearing it, but they're hearing it through their filters and they're trying to fit whatever I'm saying into their reality to what makes sense for them. So we often ask ourselves, why won't people take coaching? Why won't they change? Because they can't make that education, that information live in their box, in in their their view of the world, which is what they call their reality. If I can make it fit without changing, great. Anything that doesn't fit, I'm not going to pay attention to. Am I? Am, yeah. And, and, and not only not pay attention to, you might not even see. It's not like you ignore it. It doesn't even register. Filters are amazing, are they not? And, and, and you know, the challenge, as you and I know, because this is the path we're both on, is to be able to see one's own filters. Very easy to see a prejudiced person. Yes. Much more challenging to see our own prejudices. Would we call those those prejudices in my world would be part of our blind spots? What you and I have talked yeah. about in the past yeah. around blind spots. Yeah, our as long as our prejudices are outside of our awareness, yes. then they're blind spots. Once you know your prejudices, that doesn't mean they've gone away. You can just be responsible for them and not go hook, line, and sinker in line with them, but go, oh, there's some prejudging going on here. Right. So if some of your prejudices are your blind spots, you're not seeing how you're being. You're not seeing how people are hearing you or maybe where you're offending them, or actually they could be the opposite. It could be not even that. It could be where they think you're remarkable and, and it's still a blind spot for you. But then once it's not a blind spot, you become aware of it. And then you're making a conscious choice. And Patrick, you know, for me, this pillar two is what I say gives rise to the entire field of coaching. Maybe even the the field of psychology as well is Human beings don't see themselves the way others see them. And what's useful is to have a guide, an advisor, coach, whatever you want to call it, who helps you to see those things that are literally shaping your behavior, but are outside of your awareness. Okay, so I, I know the fundamental answer to this, but if I have a guide, a coach, he's viewing me as I'll use myself as an example through his or her filters. You got it. Okay. Well then what the hell, how do I decide if I need a coach? What, what coach so do great. I hire? <laughs> now now I'm is, confused, Alan. No, but that is so good. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I have stopped coaching people where I generated it because it was very clear. They didn't want to know how I saw things. They were judging my coaching. Now, I think the useful thing once you have a coach. Hold it, hold it. Is- let me let me let me go there just for a second. 
Yeah. They were judging your coaching. Would 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 it be a stretch to think because they were feeling judged? So in other it could be. Yeah, because in other words, if they're not coming to you to get coaching or to seek coaching, your coaching whether whether they are paying you to do that or you're just giving them some guidance. But ultimately, what I see doesn't matter how much I manage my energy, how easily people feel judged overall until they're, until they're in request. I just that's brilliant, and and that's why I make a point of not coaching people who haven't asked and telling them in advance the you know what I'm how I operate and asking them. If that's, do they want to work with a coach who operates that way? This is that's such why. an interesting conversation. Can, I want to go a little bit deeper on it because of the, the world that we live in. Yes. You know, because here's the thing. As a coach, you, and we know many, many coaches. I'm a coach, Stephanie. We know dozens, maybe freaking hundreds of them. We don't know. But yeah. for the most part, coaches aren't there to judge. There, There is not a judgment there. They're holding space for client to step into so that they can support them there is i've often said to clients is 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 if you're if you're learning a sport and you have your coach come up to you and say do this do that you know nutrition technique whatever it might be you're not feeling judged you're actually feeling supported coach oh thanks coach thanks for helping me get better yet so often people can't take that in the world of how they're showing up in their in their beingness if you will because they feel judged. Yeah. And, and Patrick, I love the way you're phrasing it. They feel judged. Yes. So, you know, one of my beliefs that I've had since maybe five is they're out to get me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's a, that's a big BS. It, I know. They're out to get me. Now, I, I can tell you when it started. I can tell you all the incidents. I can even give you a list of all the people that were out to get me. <laughs> <laughs> it's real. But, but, but I was living like they're out to get me before I even had any evidence that anybody was out to get me. So that was important for me to unpack and see if I was going to change my behavior so I could be more useful as a human being. Because otherwise, all I'd be doing is putting defenses up around me to make sure no one got me. And I, have, and I had many different ways to be defensive. A good offense. Act smarter. Get them, find their faults before they find mine. Gather evidence about where they're full of BS. Uh, so that when they call me on mine, I can throw it right back. So I had all these strategies, but it all came from a bias of thinking the world was out to get me. So this is Period. so this is so cool because I I, I want to shine a light on something here is that even the shift in how you're speaking, Alan, is that at one point in your life you're looking at how others or the world is out to get you. Of course, you've evolved and to where you're at, and I listen to Pillar One, and I'm looking and listening to Pillar Two, and what we're really discussing here is where we're the source of whatever it might be. There is no blaming anybody for any of this. This is us, you, owning what it was. Yes, at a time you believed shit was happening to you. People were coming at you. They're trying to judge you, destroy you, get you down. And you realize that whatever it is for you, you had to be at the source of your own self-talk, your filters, your BS, all the rest of it. 
Yeah, and 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 Patrick, that's where some people I think go off off the deep end. So I want us to be careful there. Yeah, you know, uh, there's this whole thing about blaming the victim. Mm. So you know, I don't want to go down that pathway, other than to say it's powerful to look at life from the perspective of what am I doing to contribute to the circumstances I found myself in. But to blame yourself for someone walking down the street and punching you, you know, all that happened is you were, might have been in the wrong place at the wrong time. Understood. Okay, yeah. yeah. And, and, and okay, that, yeah. yeah, that's not my implication in that regard. I'm, I'm really talking about our own development of, of character and personality and, yeah. and that kind yeah. of thing. And for me, it works powerful to go back to the person who I talked earlier, who got on the phone, who said, I'm angry. I mean, on the one hand, I was thinking, well, that's your problem. But then when we finally got to heal what was between us, I asked her what I had done that had caused her to be so angry. And we actually talked about it. So I'm willing. Even when it's a case where I feel like now I'm being unfairly judged or unfairly characterized, instead of just going, well, that's their fault. If they knew me, they'd forget about it. What am I doing to contribute to people's miss, to people perceiving me in a way that I'd rather not be perceived? Which goes back to, and I want to say, because I know a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are in the business at some level of giving advice and supporting others in growing, whether it's successful as an investor in in any field. You know, I think what makes a great coach great is they can see the possibility that person is. And they can see their operating system and they know how to talk to get through the person's operating system so that person can connect to their own greatness themselves. So you've got to be able to see uh, uh, both the way someone wound up as well as the possibility and do a, a juggling act. So it's not like all possibility and ignore the fact they have 20 bad habits, which if you don't address them, they won't be able to use anything you tell them or just talk to them about their bad habits where to get them so upset they're never even going to be interested in what's possible. So if we're often, and we're going to, we're going to go on from point two here in just a second, but if we're looking at, you know, if we accept the fact that we don't have direct access to reality, then it serves us to be able to have an observer, a coach, a trusted partner, somebody that we can have these kinds of conversations with that we're not in a silo. We're not on an Island. We're actually having conversations with others that can support us in seeing things differently. Would that be so great? And you can do it for yourself. So before I get on any coaching call, I pause, I look at my notes from the last call. Then I push them aside and am ready to greet this person newly and be surprised by who's there. 
Not like, oh, well, they're going to act this way because that's the way they've acted the last five times I talked to them. Now, I have no idea how they're going to act. And I want to give them that space, that room to show up with whatever they've got going on rather than keep them in some box based on my perceptions of them from the prior four calls. Hmm. Did that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense to me. And I, and I want to make sure that it, I don't know if I need to dig deep, deeper on it for our listeners. Okay. Let me, I, I don't know why this showed up, but I, because it showed up, I'll ask the question. My very limited experience or my very limited understanding of psychologists and let's say a psychologist they work in a different space, do they not? Do they, it, it would, yes. they, they would actually, it's a process or there's, there's a process of the conversation they had the first time versus the second, third, fourth. Whereas what you're saying is you're not, you're not locking into that, that process. I don't know if that's even a fair conversation or a, a I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's fair because the field of psychology is so broad. There are transpersonal psychologists, yeah. transcendental. It's so broad that to think it's all one would be. No, uh, it isn't. And, and I, it only, I showed up for me, so I brought it up. Okay. Yeah. But I think, Patrick, if anybody on the call is a manager, so this second pillar is critical for them. So I said, human beings do not have direct access to reality. It's always filtered through our perception. So we have a perception of the people we're managing and what they're capable of and what they're not capable of and who to give this task to and who to give not to give that task to. And although uh, our perceptions, you know, are based on some experiences we have, it's just important to know they're not the same as reality. So if I relate to a person on my team as they're the problem, I'm going to, my actions are going to be in a dance with they're a problem. When, oh no, that's just my perception. So the moment I'm stuck as a manager in labeling the people who I'm managing, I've got some house cleaning to do in my own house so that I can approach them again as a pure possibility. So to be a great manager, I think that is such an important part of great management, great leadership is always to be working on your own view of the world and how you hold space for your team. And, and given that you're looking at them through filter, you're helping them grow to be a great player on the team. And sometimes, yeah. you know, that's, that's in the world of sports, because that's where I relate to often is that is a coach's job. That is a trainer's job. That is really looking at a player and saying, what's in his way or her way? How can I support them in having performing at a highest level? And often that's just the way they're viewing the world. Yeah. And, and just to tell one on myself, not to think I know something other than what I know and not even to think that what I know is accurate. I was on a three-way call on Saturday morning with a man in Palestine, in the West Bank, and a woman in California and myself, and we were speculating about some workshops we could develop that would help people complete the past so there'd be more of a clearing rather than the Palestinians and Israelis just fighting each other for another thousand years. So we were talking about it. It was my first time meeting this man, and Antoine is his name, and he said, you want to ha have another call? He said, most definitely. But let's make sure 
we always have women on the call. Now, I didn't even think to say that. He said, because they're going to bring a different perspective than what we're going to see, and we need their perspective. And I went, of course, what a dumb guy am I (laughs) (laughs) that I didn't think of that. But, But it was like, I didn't see that if I had just went ahead and met, had the next meeting just with him, there'd be a whole way of perceiving the world that we have, would have glossed over. And we want to welcome that if we're going to impact the situation that impacts men and women, you know? That's so great. I love that thought process. And it leads me to the question or before we get on from this is, I mean, you've worked with some very, very high level business guys and just yes. pe- people in general. And because you can have some really successful people with just all sorts of shit in their way. They've achieved some major business accomplishments, huge money, millions, billions, whatever. But they're, they, this is really about not about running a great business or growing a great real estate portfolio. It's a part of it, but it's actually having a great life and being the best you can be in all aspects of that life. Yes. Yes. It's so great. You know, I mean, but even as just as an investor, if you don't know your own biases, your own prejudging, you'll be limited as to what investments you'll find attractive. This goes back to all of those, you know, all those little sayings and all those little cliches that exist. They exist because they do all, you know, all the quotes, but know thyself. We always go back to that. To me, that's a foundational, that's like almost number one. And to me, what that means is two things. It means know the way you're designed, that part of yourself, the way you wound up, and also know the possibility that you are, because they both make up the composite of you. Okay. Because we're going through this four pillars, that was pillar number two. Are, are yeah. we are, Anything to complete on pillar number two, or do you feel complete on it, Alan? My perception is, my view is, that we're all works in progress, period. Full stop. So it's not like I got to the place where... I don't have to pay attention to my my perceptions. <laughs> that would be very evolved. Yes, we're all yeah. we're and it doesn't change. No, yeah. And so the 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 uh uh the reminder is don't believe everything you think. Mm, good one. Yeah. And that's a good ending to pillar two. <laughs> okay, let's uh let's carry on. Number three. This one, again, seems like common sense, but we, you and I know common sense is uncommon. So this one is our brains add a narrative to everything that happens, even when we're not present to what happened. So what does that mean? Well, our brains have evolved and they have a design principle. The design principle, the function of our brain is to keep us alive. And it's evolved in all of its ways that it's evolved to be more and more effective at keeping us alive, period. So what what does it do? It recognizes patterns so that each time it sees a lion, it doesn't have to go, whoa, I wonder what that is. Or each time it touches a hot stove, it doesn't have to go, or there's a hot stove, it doesn't go, whoa, I wonder if that'll be hot. So it predicts, 
and recognizes patterns, and it does it faster than we're present to what's going on around us. So the example of that is everyone on this who's listening to this podcast, I'm sure has had the experience of finding themselves at times in a mood and not knowing how they got in a mood. And then they have to slow down and go, wait a second, I got upset three hours ago and slow it down, get present to what actually happened that their brain made up a story about that left them in a particular mood, period. You just need to know it. Our brains are adding and creating narratives outside of our awareness. (laughs) There's the ones we know of, and then it's still operating because that's its design function. You know, what you just mentioned there, though, I have to say is if if somebody realizes that they're pissed off, they're bitchy, or or not, they've got a mood. We'll just call it a mood. Could be something totally different, right? And usually it's going to be some negative thought around a mood. It's actually quite an evolved individual that would actually observe, slow down, take a look and go, what the hell is, why am I this? Why am I really operating on top of this? Why am I feeling this way? Can you really connect it? Is it something you can control? Can you own it? Was it your, you know, do you believe it was your fault? You know, and how long is it going to, you know, there was a work we did with Paul Stoltz years ago. Dr. Paul Stoltz was around what we called core, which is what do you control? What can you own? What's the reach and what's the endurance, which is, did you hear that one before? No, control. Yes. Own. Own, that's the O. Yeah. Reach. Yes. And endurance. And endurance, great. So what's, great. Your, what's your core? And this was great work. The classic example of was a guy gets cut off on his way to work. It pisses him off. He comes in the office. He goes, damn it, I got cut off. Some asshole cut me off, blah, blah, blah. He can't control that. And the traffic certainly doesn't care. So he came to work all pissed off because he got cut off. And guess what? The traffic could care less. So really, and you have no control over it. He can't own it. It wasn't him that cut anybody off. He was sitting and somebody cut him off. But now it has reach. He walks in the office and it's blah, blah, blah. And he's telling all the office. So that is that energy in the office or wherever he's doing that or she's doing that. And then endurance. So maybe that's how you set your morning off. Well, later on that afternoon, that same individual He's, you know, winding down the day and he goes, well, gosh, I hope I don't get on the traffic and get cut off again. That would be awful. Like that would just piss me off again. That's called endurance. And maybe that person even brings it up a day later. So that's your core. So when we look in and we examine what our core is, we have to say, what do I have control over? I have no control over the traffic. I can't own the fact that I got cut off. I mean, I was just in traffic. Some asshole was in a hurry, cut me off, whatever the story is. But I do have control and I do can own the reach and the endurance part of that conversation. That's very good. You know, uh, you know, the way I used to, the way I learned that lesson was dealing with a situation with my son and, uh, you know, the situation he got into, which I would rather him not be in, but he was in that situation. He's an adult. And I, went and I got frustrated. That was like somebody cut me off. I was deeply frustrated because I didn't like the direction his life was going in. So I was spending my time being frustrated. Did that and upset? Did that make any difference in what he did? No, but it sure 
made a difference in how I experienced being alive. And so I went, ah, oh, it's time to learn a lesson. How do you be powerful when you have no control? As a man, going back to that thing I just talked about, you know, we were raised, take control of the situation. But there's things outside of our control. So how do you have power? Not give up your power just because you have no control. And that was an important learning point for me. You know, and this also this third one about our brains at a narrative to everything that's happened that happens. If we're not at work on being present or mindful, we may not even notice when we're in a bad mood until it's too late and we've caused some damage. Because we're not present to the narrative that's running. That's interesting because that's that is, you know, if you go to the extreme, it's the person that you know that is always bitchy, always pissed off at the world, always is negative, and they don't they don't know any of that. They have no awareness. No, they're not bitchy. They're just upset about all the jerks that surround them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it is. It is an interesting about bringing your awareness. Now, what drives this? What? Why? We're, why is this going to show up for people? Yeah. Well, it will only show up if you're interested in becoming mastering what this thing is called being human so that you have more of an influence on the way your life goes and your experience of being alive, period. If you're interested in, you know, I look at it like I, I was given this body and I have this body. Now, if I want to master what it is to be human, I better learn the way it's designed, be responsible for it. Why? So that I go back to what Dr. Paul Stoltz says, so I have some more control over what's going on around me and the results I'm producing. Because I got tired of living in a narrative called they're out to get me. That's a tough narrative to live in, right? Yeah, I, I, I've got generations living in that <laughs> narrative. So I, I, I come by it honestly. <laughs> but there even is this thing, Patrick, I'm, I know I joked about it, but it's called intergenerational trauma. And there are folks whose parents experienced trauma. The kids didn't have the trauma, but the trauma was transmitted to the kids because of the, what the parents, how the parents were living their lives because they hadn't completed their trauma. Now, I want to just interject here a little bit. And sure. although it, you know, it showed up in your introduction in the podcast. I mean, you've done yeah. work with literally what tens of thousands because of your background. Close to seventy-five thousand people in their journey of getting through some of this time is just intergenerational trauma, as an example. Yeah, that's right. Let's say the journey of waking up. Their journey. <laughs> I love that journey of waking up. Yeah. Now, yeah, and and we're always going to sleep and then waking up again. I think that's how that goes in life. Yeah, a, a Hindu uh, monk, really good friend of mine, Janendra Jain, he passed away two years ago, um, but made an enormous difference in the li- in my life and the lives of many. He's, he, I don't know if this was his saying or an ancient Hindu saying. He said, Alan, human beings are asleep waiting to happen. Mm. It's like at any moment we go asleep. And then he said the sec, the corollary to that, is it's a shame 
that human beings have to die before they wake up. So uh, my life, and I know your life, is about waking people up while they're still alive so they can live lives that are fulfilling, nurturing, successful, making a difference, being a contribution. But you can't do that if you don't know the way you're designed and the limitations of the design. And I think for anybody listening on this particular podcast is understanding the impact that when you work on you, when you just work on you being the most amazing, incredible person that you can be, the impact goes out. It just goes everywhere. It affects every aspect and every relationship, all parts of your life. Yeah. One of our heroes, Gandhi, I mean, the quote that's attributed mm -hmm. to him is, be the change you want to see. So stop fixing everybody else. Go to work on you. Go to work on you. You live the life, and in my words, Patrick, keep being competent and then masterful at expressing your calling, your purpose, and being responsible for your operating system. Other people will say the same thing in different ways. Be your higher self. Be your best self. You know, I don't have a higher or a lower. I just got a, a calling and an operating system. Choose. Like Stephanie said to you 20 years ago, <laughs> choose, Patrick. <laughs> Make a choice. <laughs> but you can't. But here's the deal about what she was saying. You can't choose until you slow things down enough to be able to make a choice. If it's all stimulus response, stimulus response, there's no choosing. And it's not an easy journey. I mean, let's face it. You've got stories. You've got dialogue going on. You've got old belief systems. You've got all that old belief of the old BS, the you know values that you think are yours and you discover aren't even your values you're living. I mean, there's it is it is actually an interesting uh, level of work. And you as a coach, and I know in my own life as a coach, I've seen where people bump up against is that when you start to have your own realizations of who you're being, then because in the world and my belief system, my BS is that like attracts like. And the minute you yeah. start to shift, then there are people in your lives, in your life, who don't fit there anymore. They all of a sudden bounce off. You're, you're getting clearer on who you are, and all of a sudden, yeah, that doesn't... There's personality clashes, belief system clashes, character clashes. That can do one of two things. That can either show you that you're evolving, changing, and you want to continue, or it puts you back and you chicken out and you go, no, I'm going back to where I'm believing what I used to believe. Or, or I think a third option, uh, which is included in the first one, where that's someone who I have something to contribute to if they're open. Yeah. Oh, great. Great point. Yes. Well done. Yeah, if they're yeah. open. Good yeah. catch. You know, I, I, there's a, the, the term boundaries is very popular these days. I coaching people and they go, well, I have to set my boundaries and I'm going, Shit, I don't have, what happened to my boundaries? Uh, so it, once I stopped seeing other people as a threat, I found that I could let people in who I disagreed with or who disagreed with me as a way of then finding common ground mm -hmm. rather than ruling them out just because they weren't whatever enough. I love that. Our brains add a narrative to everything that happens even when we're not present to what happened. You know, so for a while, once that became clear to me, I would have a practice to wake up. And the way I would wake myself up 
is at the end of every day, I would review all the interactions I had had during the day with people to see if those interactions were based in my calling or my operating system. And if they were based in my operating system, I would ask myself, what was the narrative that I had that had me react that way instead of be my calling? So I'd start to, yeah, I know you journal. It was a way of journaling so that I could own, listen, there are things happening outside of my awareness and I'm going to have to slow down and do a retrospective every day if I really want to grow day in and day out. So, yeah, that's all I want to say about that. And then it leads us to pillar four, yeah? Yeah, we got to go to pillar four and... But yeah. not yet, huh? No, no, let's do it. No, let's do it. Well, let's go. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll, we'll, I'll circle we'll back the, later. We'll do, we'll do the short version. Yeah. So I'm not happy with the way I've worded this. This one, sorry, I'm less happy with the way I worded this than the first three. So, okay, but we have to summarize the first three. So you're not your thoughts, your feelings. You're this clearing. We're not, we don't have direct access to reality. It's all filtered through our perceptions. And our brains are making up stories all the time. So what's a human being to do? <laughs> it sounds hopeless. And I, I steal a page from Stephanie's. You know, I could say this. It's possible to live life as a chooser, as one who's choosing. And the way I said it in this uh, iteration is it's possible to live life as one's word. So what did I mean by that? I meant my word is my calling. So I made up my calling. All hearts are full. All beings are enlightened. It's possible to live life as my calling. But all my calling is is a set of words. Period. Yes. So I, I can live true to my words. Uh, again, I can walk my talk. That's the fourth pillar. You got a lot of talking going on. It's possible to walk it, to live life as one's word, period. And when you are true to that, that's just being yourself. That's not generated. You're not having to do anything fancy. It's, it's, it's not generated. It's actually being mindful and conscious that you're being true to who you are, to yourself. Period. Full stop. Period. That's it. What a good student I am, Alan. You, well, you're 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 much more than a student, Patrick. And you know, I know you and I have talked about what great stuff we could create if we did some workshops <laughs> where we where we co-led them. And I still think that's in our future, but uh, time will tell. Yeah, there's uh, that would be great to do that, and I and I do have a sense that that's the kind of work that we need to do. So in and this was me revising my calling and I, and I'm actually going to publicly state it, Alan, although I don't think should, is that, is that appropriate given that I'm not a hundred percent there yet? Yeah. Well, it's a work in progress. Come on. Okay. So for me, how I show up in a very natural way in, and my calling for me is all people are being their best selves and living their best lives. Awesome. And, and, and Patrick, I think, People who know you, I, I told you this when you worded it that way the other day, people who know you would go, yep, that's what he's doing most of the time. 
and and now where we go to work is on the percentage that isn't most of the time. <laughs> yeah, isn't that the truth, right? <laughs> but when I get to show up that way, I just know that that's the the people that are in my life and the relationships I have or are are all pretty natural that way. And it also gives me a lot of space for others. Once again, to your point, I don't have to agree with everybody. I don't have to see them and they, they can be the way they are. And I've got all the space in the world for them. And, and Patrick, you know, I, I, I've had, I've worked with some very analytical people, you know, uh, who've asked me this question, engineer types and accountants, uh, they're, they're all wonderful. You know, they're just a little more analytical than I tend to be. And I'm also on the analytical side of the spectrum. But they'll say, well, how do you know you're really built your life on these four pillars and you're really honoring this? How do you know? And I've spent a while in conversation with others and looking. And there's this thing we've talked about called you're living in flow. Mm. Yes. Uh, The way I know I'm continuing to grow and continuing to be responsible for not being my thoughts and feelings, for being responsible for my perceptions and living as my word is things. I literally have things flowing. And it it goes from the simplest thing of going to places and it's smooth or there's a parking place right at front in front to people calling me and saying, you got to meet this person. Then I meet that person and they have the key to the next thing that I was working on. And it's just this flow that's happening. And you're in flow. Things that other people might call coincidences or miracles. Uh, it just seems like synchronicity to me. And there's an experience. And we all, we all know when we're not in flow. Because there's struggle and effort. And we're resisting or the universe is not ever turning out the way we want. And we're disappointed. When you're in flow, there's gratitude, there's those little miracles happening, there's doors opening at the right time, and that's the universe telling us we're in flow. So uh, I had a teacher who said, let the universe be, you don't need a guru. The universe is a perfect guru. If you're flowing, the universe tells you right away. It's interesting that you bring that up. There's a, there's a couple things that even when I'm talking to people or I'll have my own self-talk and I'll use the, the term, don't force the river. You know, yes. I'll ask people, why are you trying to force the river? That sometimes that question brings people back to center and, and then they question it. And I know it does for me as well. When we look at the, in business though, is when do we, how do we know if we're trying to force the river or if we're in flow? How do we know if we're in the intellect of trying to drive a deal, drive a relationship, drive an outcome, as opposed to having it just flow? You're going to hate my answer, I think. You don't know. I don't hate anything because hate's just... Okay, I, good. I, I, that, good. So we don't know. We don't. We Some people seem to. Some people seem to. Some people say they know. Right. <laughs> Right. And it's, it's an experience. And like I said, like we said earlier, we don't have a direct access to reality. So there are times when you may even go, you know what? I need to overcome this hurdle and I need to force it. And you do. 
And then there's other times where that's exactly the wrong move. So for me, we're learning. And damn it, Alan, I wanted more. I wanted more. Give me the answer. Damn it. Well, I'm glad you don't hate my answer. You just (laughs) dislike it. I like that. That's very, it's a good distinction. You know, that's why business is a risk. Mm -hmm. And that's why there's rewards in business because there are risks and therefore there's rewards. And if I say, if we're not willing to fail and learn from our failures, we shouldn't go into business. It's the wrong place. Get a, get a solid job where someone pays you a salary. Yes. But if you're going to start your own business, be willing to take risks, be willing to learn from your mistakes and keep iterating and iterating and iterating as you get a better and better product. Fail forward, fail forward, fail forward, fail yes. forward. That yeah. is, that is yeah. just, uh, gosh, I, you know, I, some people ask me, Patrick, aren't you afraid of failing? I go, what time like how many times today you know it's it's sometimes like that and yeah so if we listen to this whole interview we go oh i should have said it differently or i should have said that differently but we've just been flowing yes and it'll be useful to everyone who it's useful to and for everyone who finds it to have been gobbledygook it won't have been useful and then i'll go well how could i have said it different so we could have cast a wider net, but this is how we did it this time. That's true. I love that. These four pillars that you have come up with right now that you're working yeah. on and, and that are uh, an evolution or a metamorphosis yeah. of all of your work. Yeah, a and work in progress. A work in progress. And is this what you build your programs on and a lot of the work that you do? Now, I want to go to this is a bit of a plug for the performance program that you're working on with Carrie Granger and yeah. others or just you and Carrie? Well, Carrie Granger will be the primary leaders and then Richard Dolan, yes. Mike Mansis, who is uh, LeBron James fitness coach and has been for years and is going with him to the Lakers. And then a woman who works with Adidas in the area of fitness will also be part of the presentation. Now, okay, so will the work that you've done and that we're talking about here by the way, is, is this, are these four pillars? Because if people are listening to this and going, I'm, I get it. This is interesting. Then are, is part of the performance program built around these four pillars? No. And that, by the way, that's why I call them pillars. Got it. This is a platform on which I live my life. This is not what my life's about. I built my life on the platform resting on these four pillars and the performance program is, um, really a breakthrough in in my view, Carrie's view, Richard's view, Richard Dolan's view, and some neuroscientists who viewed it. It's a breakthrough in gaining access to the world of performance so that increasing your performance in any area isn't a mystery. So you literally have the tools on how to impact your own performance. And we think it's going to be the first in a series of workshops or courses that we'll offer that ultimately will leave people both at the source of their performance and better able to coach people to improve other people's performance. I, you said something in that, in, 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 in and I want to maybe link it. I don't know if this is appropriate sure. or not. In my mind, it makes sense. And that is that 
you have the platform, the four pillars. That is your platform. Yeah. Those are all of the things. But you said something even in this conversation right now when you're describing the performance program, and I don't want to step over it, which is being the source, being the source of all of the results that you have in your life. And being a source is way different than tapping into a source or tapping into a resource or supporting somebody else's source. There's such a powerful, for me, there's such a powerful, I guess, picture in my brain of what it is to be the source of your results, others' results, which is what you talked a little bit about in terms of being a coach. Yeah, it's great. So uh, let me say what I think about that. It's a view. It's a way to relate to yourself as you, I'm not saying you are. I mean, for all I know, I mean, I wrote a paper in a college philosophy course that said, what happens if all we are as human beings is we're in a black box and we can't see the outsides and someone's putting our thoughts in us and controlling everything and we'll never know because we're inside the box. But what I do know is that if you're interested in increasing and improving your performance, it's useful to relate to yourself from the view that you're the source of your performance. That's useful. That's a useful starting place. Hmm. That seems so minimal compared to how I hold it, Alan. I'm just saying, I'm yeah. not, that's just my observation. No, I know, I know, I know. I know. I, I've said things much grander than that. But when it comes to performance, you know, what we, first off, what we did, Patrick, Kerry and I and, and Richard, is we came up with a working definition of performance. And we say performance is focused action to produce an intended result, period. Whether that's in the area of health, finance, work, relationships, if you're performing, we say that's when you have focused action and it's about improving an intended, causing an intended result. Now, so focused action to produce a result, an intended result, an intended result. Yeah. Okay. That's distilled down right to the core, basic, fundamental, clear. Yeah. And, and you know, you're, you, people work for you in, in several of you, at least two of your businesses. Most people I've observed don't go to work present to the fact that they're being paid to perform. They're being paid to produce results. And people will say, well, I spent eight hours on it. Well, they're not getting paid to spend eight hours. They're getting paid to produce a result. So that's the first, we think, major shift in the beginning of the workshop is people identifying that throughout their day, what's really at stake, a useful question is, are they performing? at the level they want or right. not. And then we start from there and then we've come up with something called the life cycle of performance, which will give people more access to having focused action to produce the intended result. So I want to, I just believe in your work, Richard's work. Yep. I know that, you know, I've not met Carrie, but I'm also familiar with her background because of the conversations I've had with both you and Richard and, yeah. and I've certainly yeah. read her bio and I'm going to get her on the show here one day. I hope. Absolutely. That's my intention. This performance program is going to be 
epic. And I know that I'm a hundred percent confident in that. So my question though, for you is if I said who would attend this program, Yeah, who would attend it? Who would be interested yeah. in attending it? Well, I know you're not going to hate my answer because you don't hate, you may not like my answer. Who should attend this program yeah. is anyone who's interested in positively impacting their performance and who's available to come Toronto on September 5th and 6th when we're offering the workshop. Okay, awesome. But other, well, than, <laughs> other than that, no one, nobody else should come. Nobody else <laughs> should come. Okay, well, that's awesome. So it's open up there for anybody, and that's great. Because yeah. I hope that anybody listening to this, you know, in the context of The Everyday Millionaire, Alan, and the podcast, seemingly ordinary people achieving extraordinary results. If I've learned nothing else is that seemingly ordinary people are always doing the work. They're always elevating themselves. They're always looking to see how they can improve. And they just quietly go and have, you know, number one, they generate the revenue they generate. They create the net worth that they create, but they do the work and they do the work on themselves and they reach outside of themselves. You know, Patrick, I'm so glad you said that because both Carrie Richard and I are the primary designers of, of this performance workshop. And well, you know, the three of us, we're all three of us are, are, are other people might say extraordinary performers, but all three of us have had the opportunity to work with other extraordinary performers. So this workshop isn't just us sitting around coming up with some new ideas. It comes from observing what is it that allows us to be high performers and those around us and turning that into something that's transferable to others. Is this part of a training program for coaches? Is this So would you come out of that? Is that really what this is all about? Well, our view is this is like 101. Okay. This is how to be a peak performer yourself. Then maybe 102 or 201 right. will be how do you coach others to impact their performance? But we don't think anybody should coach people in performance if they're not a peak performer themselves. We think they're not walking their talk. That's awesome. Alan, I can't even believe it, but we're, uh, we're why having to wind down the show, my friend. I thought we might be overtime, Patrick, but I, I, I hope we're still within legal limits. <laughs> we're within legal limits. Uh, that's great. A couple things. Let's, uh, yeah. let's just switch subjects a little bit quickly um, sure. just to wind things down. What are you reading these days that, you know, that you would recommend that uh, people pick up a book? What's your most, you know, have you got a recent recommendation? The one I'm reading right now is I've just started it. It's called, hold on. It's right on the floor. I can't even tell you the name. Hold on. Okay. Okay. I'm holding. Buddha's Brain, the practical neuroscience of happiness, love, and wisdom. Buddha's Brain. And it's uh, thought provoking and I'm loving it. That's what I'm reading right now. And you're going on vacation. Where are you going? Orcas Island. It's uh, on the United States side of the border. It's The islands are called the San Juan Islands, which are south of the islands uh, off Vancouver, which are called the, um, what, what are those? Uh, Gulf Stream Islands. So it's the U.S. version of the Gulf Stream Islands, the wonderful island called Orcas. And uh, we're going there for a family vacation. Yeah. Given the work that you've been doing on your four pillars and the performance program, is there any 
guidance? Is there like one, two, three top things that you would encourage people to pay attention to right now? Yep. Pay attention no matter what you're doing to what's your intention. And if you're not sure what your intention is, stop doing what you're doing to get clear what your intention is and see if that's really, uh, if you're taking the right steps to fulfill it. Number two, make sure there's a good balance between your head and your heart. So we've got both because we need both. Some people err on one side, lead more to one side. Some people lean more to the other. Make sure you're listening to both. And then the last one, which is something I live by, is practice. You want to get somewhere, practice, 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 practice. I intend to be practicing until I take my last breath. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. You know, there's a, you know, what I came away there. I mean, there's a lot of things that I come away every time I have a conversation with you, Alan, but this one, what stands out maybe because it's the most recent is focused action intended to produce a result focused action to produce an intended result to produce an intended result which goes back to what you just said which is what's your intention and if you don't know what your intention is slow down or stop until you can identify what the intention is and patrick very practically people don't think this way they think what do i have to do not what am I intending to accomplish? So for a while, before I trained my brain to think this way, I would put in my calendar the intention for every meeting. Not who I was meeting, but well, what was my intended outcome? So that way I went into the conversation present to looking at my calendar. Oh, that's my intention. That's a great tip. Love that one. Yeah, yeah. You know, our, uh, our, our intellect and our hearts, you know, we were uh, chatting on our call the other day and, and we talked about people are familiar with mindfulness and they're certainly familiar with thoughtfulness. Those are, I don't even want to say that they're catchphrases, but they certainly have become more prominent in the world's conversations these days. It seems to me that way. And what showed up for me is around heartfulness and heartfulness to me is being is a balance between your intellect, and I haven't defined what it is. I just know that my heart sings to me, it speaks to me in certain circumstances. And so heartfulness is what I'm adding to that. I don't know what that means yet. I'm just putting I it out there. I just put it I out there. I love it. No, I love it. Thank you. That's a great addition to the way I'm talking, is if I say mindfulness, people might hear it like their head or their intellect. Mindfulness and heartfulness. I love it. Alan, what are you grateful for? Right this minute, I'm grateful for you. And I'm grateful for the gift that you are, Patrick. I I tell you this almost every time I talk to you. You have this gift of bringing out the best in people. And I'm grateful that I got to meet you and that you're in my life. I'm grateful for the same, Alan. And hopefully I've uh, brought out the best in you today again and that uh, our listeners are taking away some really cool stuff. I think they are. So thank you so much again. All right. My you're, pleasure. You're you're the third you're the third time in, buddy. You know, so uh, we're excited always to have you on the show. Third time's a charm. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, pal. <laughs> Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. 
If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.